0: Are we recording did, right now? Yeah. Okay.
1: Oh, did, did we didn't really intro the episode, though, Scott, did we? I know, but sometimes with new people,
2: Troy, I like to kind of sneak into it oh, so I feel more comfortable.
1: <laughs> I'm sorry, Scott. You
2: know, maybe not call attention to the fact <laughs> that we're actually better. doing the
1: show. Don't let me mess with your technique. Please continue. <laughs> I think it might okay. be too late. I think Dr. Paul is, is wise to me at this point. I think now she knows what you're doing. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> now I do, too. <laughs> You've uh, probably heard of
2: this concept of time-restricted eating. That's where, say, you eat for eight hours out of the day, and then you don't eat for 16 hours. And it's a way that uh, a lot of people are talking about being able to lose a little extra weight. We've talked to Thunder Julili, our nutritionist. We have a couple episodes about it uh, you you can listen to. Today, we wanted to bring in a physician, Dr. Susan Pohl, and find out what her take on time-restricted eating is. And if it's right for everybody, or if there's some people that it's not going to work out for, and... Uh, what other impacts it can have on your health. My name is Scott Singpil. I am the manager of the scoperadio.com. With me, my co-host, Dr. Troy Madsen and Dr. Susan Pohl. So time-restricted eating, tell me your definition of that.
0: One theory um, that has been popularized is that not only do we need the right nutrition, but by timing it, with insulin and giving our body a rest from food and a rest from nutrition from the insulin, we actually can boost health and boost boost vitality. Yeah,
2: that's a little bit of a different uh, take on it than Thunder has. So when we talk to Thunder, it's primarily more about kind of, I think, weight management, you know, losing some weight or ma- maintaining your weight. Um, so that's that's fascinating that it can actually impact your health as well. Is time restricted eating something that everybody should be doing?
0: no. Uh, the idea behind time restricted eating um, from my from my point of view is primarily around insulin and storing and getting into that storage mode and When we eat foods that are high in carbohydrates, we tend to secrete insulin and then we go into the storage mode for our nutrition. You know back in high school biology, we learned that the brain was the computer that helped drive the body. We had this nutrition tube that helped us digest food um, and that we had fat and fat was a storage vehicle. Although those ideas are correct, they're, they're very, it's a very simplified model and that there actually are hormones that um, talk to each other between the brain, the gut and the, and the fat in our body. And so um, by doing time-restricted eating, you are decreasing the amount of insulin that your body's being exposed to but you also are triggering some other hormones like um, uh, the balance of leptin and adiponectin, which are two other hormones that are secreted by fat. And so for some people, as you start to drive weight down, um, you actually start to get um, a decrease in leptin and you can actually drive the brain to to cause some um, binge eating behaviors. So the balance between the gut and the brain can can become a little bit off. And so I have patients that come to me and say, you know, I did time-restricted eating and I'm fasting several days a week, but I'm not losing weight, or I'm not successful in this, um, or I do 16-8. So I'll go 16 hours of fasting and eight hours of eating, um, and I'm not losing weight, and I'm not getting more vitality. And I keep reading about this. And and. What may be happening with a lot of those people is that they actually are triggering some binging because of the brain's reaction to the fasting. So um, it's a tool that works for lots of people, but some people will start to trigger binging. Um, And there are certain people who should not be doing time-restricted eating, specifically those that have a history of binge eating disorder or any eating disorder disorder. Um, we don't recommend it for um, children under 18. It just hasn't been studied. And we know that nutrition is vital for functioning and growth. So children should not be d- doing time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting. Um, and pregnant women, uh, because again, nutrition is very important um, for uh, for pregnancy.
1: And do you find that there's a certain cutoff in this time-restricted eating where it starts to become more problematic? Like you mentioned the eight-hour eating 16 hour fast, that seems like a very long fast. Is that just too much? Or, or do you just tell people, hey, do what works for you and, uh, you know, adjust it to your schedule?
0: Yeah. So, um, I, yeah, I I don't think we understand as we peel the onion. Like like I said, you know, if we think about the onion and insulin is one of the big layers in there, and then we get down into some of the more detailed uh, hormones around uh, leptin and adiponectin, and and the the way that signals and triggers the brain um, to to crave more food. And so everybody has a different reactivity to that. Um so again I think I I recommend exactly what you said you can try those things like 16 and 8 um I have seen some studies that the balance of leptin and adiponectin don't get as um are are not as put into as much imbalance if you do every other day fasting as opposed to every day fasting mm-hmm. Um so using it as a tool that maybe you don't do all the time um, for some people who are being triggered uh to uh binge eat or or consume more calories during their non-fasting time. And I think it's unconscious. Um, I do think that patients don't, people don't quite realize what 100 or 200 calories looks like.
1: We've really been on the time-restricted eating bandwagon here. And, And I think I worry sometimes this happens with a lot of health things, that you see something that has some benefit. And we think, well, if it's good, if I just do more of it, it's better. You know, we've talked about doing 12 and 12 and maybe increasing that to 14, but then maybe people think, well, let's go to 16 and eight. And then potentially, as you mentioned, then maybe that just starts to throw things off and you just want to binge eat during that eight hours and it's, it's counterproductive.
0: Yeah, I see a lot of patients that um, will do alternate day fasts, Um, you know, eat regular timing for foods one day and then alternate day, uh, a lower calorie 16 and 8 or 12 and 12 on on alternate days. And I think a lot of people can manage that a little bit more. And some people find that that's a technique that that makes it more sustainable.
2: I did the uh, 816, and I had a lot of success with it, but as I'm listening to you talk, I think I was kind of set up for a little bit more success. First of all, perhaps my body's not having the same chemical reactions that some people do, because binging wasn't an issue for me. Second of all, my whole life I've been very aware of what 200 calories looks like. I understand my macros um, pretty well. Um, So I was eating essentially what I would eat, except for I was just compressing it you know, and I know how many calories I eat. So I I was finding success. But if somebody is not quite sure, it can be really easy. I I would imagine if that chemical reaction kicks in to just go, oh, I need a bag of Reese's peanut butter cups and you down that and there's, you know, four or 500 calories. Now you're eating more than you normally would. Uh, The other thing that fasting, the reason it worked for me is because I can only eat so much in that period. So what were you finding when people binge? Are they binging on good stuff or bad stuff? Or what, what usually, how does that play out?
0: So the interesting thing is that if you look at kind of the brain's trigger, um, we actually think that we have this um, hedonic pathway. And so during times of stress, uh, we tend to... Uh, gravitate toward foods that are highly palatable. So um, speaking in English, um, you're going to crave a, um, if you're given a chocolate cake or a salad, um, if you are in that craving mode, you're definitely going to go more for the chocolate cake. Um, So I think the other piece of it is when you do break a fast, think about breaking it um, when you first, you know, your first food that you're eating, I would concentrate on um, some a balanced uh, nutrition profile. So some protein and some fat that'll keep the gut from going into um, a real fast metabolic rate. So if you make sure that you have some protein and some fat as you start to break your fast, I think you won't get as much. You won't get triggered as much to crave the high sugar, high carbohydrates.
1: And, you know, I have seen some things as well, looking at intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating of, you know, even some health effects like an increased rate of gallstones. I guess the idea being that the gallbladder isn't working as much because there's no food in there. You don't need that bile secreted and that bile sitting there increases the rate of gallstones. Are you seeing anything along those lines or any other, um, you know, health effects similar to that?
0: Yeah, I think if you're weight neutral, you know, um, I, I think that the rate of gallstones are less. But with any anything that promotes weight loss, you're at risk for gallstones, especially if the weight loss is rapid. Hmm.
1: So a lot of what I'm hearing here is that, you know, Scott and I have certainly been on the bandwagon here with time-restricted eating. We're like, hey, this is great. But it sounds like you're telling us, yeah, there's maybe a place for it, but there's a whole lot else you should be addressing maybe before even thinking about it. How do you talk to patients when they first come in, in terms of just their general health, weight loss? And when does this come into that conversation?
0: So most people are very comfortable talking about exercise and nutrition when they're talking about uh, weight and, and really health. Um, we start to talk more on a global level about things like sleep and mood, when patients are having more difficulty, and we'll start to talk a little deeper about other issues um, around health. Um, And if we feel like it's they're addressing things in a good way around mood and sleep, I might bring up had they heard of intermittent fasting and what is their experience with it? And we'll talk about um, time-restricted eating, and I'll give them some resources to read about it. I've actually re- recommended The Obesity Code as a book for someone to read and then have them follow up with me and and really talk about what that would look like and then support them um, as long as I know that they're otherwise in a healthy place and have the support that they need to to start time-restricted eating.
1: So this is not a first time treatment for obesity. This isn't something you're talking about in your first time. It's like, hey, if you've got everything else in place, this is an option as well.
0: Yes, yeah, I add it. I definitely add it after we've maximized um, nutrition and especially looking at things like, you know, carbohydrate content um, and, um, and total exercise, both um, uh, vigorous exercise and more moderate exercise and making sure they have a balance of all those things.
2: So it sounds like if somebody's getting some exercise, they're, they're watching their nutrition, their caloric intake, they're, they're getting good sleep, they've got some good mental health, there's n- nothing in their life that's causing stress. That tends to work for the most part for people feeling healthy, losing a little bit of weight. If somebody hits a plateau, that's when maybe you might pull this one out of the toolbox of intermittent fasting.
0: Yes, and I make sure that they're following up with me and making sure that we have a good plan for follow-up and just making sure that all their um, – although none of those other issues become triggered.
1: Yeah. So here's the next question for you. Do you practice intermittent fasting?
0: Uh, I, uh, yes, I do. Actually, Um, I have found that I maximized uh, exercise and nutrition and felt like I had hit a wall. Um, During the pandemic, actually, I started uh, doing 16 and 8. And um, I found that it helped break through some some issues uh, for me. And it was a, I was able to uh, have some success that um, I hadn't previously been able to achieve.
1: Wow. And were you doing 16 and 8 every day or kind of every other day like you mentioned?
0: Uh, for me, the issue, and and it was a little bit, maybe a little bit of that, what I talked about earlier, that hedonic drive, um, but what I found was that um, I was able to look at my nutrition five days a week, and then on the weekend, um, I, I love a piece of chocolate cake or... Um, or um, a glass of wine or something like that. And so it was very hard for me and discouraging for me to do uh, seven days of really good uh, monitoring your nutrition and exercise, and then have a weekend of of maybe some celebration or or something and then lose ground. Um, And so what I found for me was that if I did intermittent, if I did 16 and eight during the weekdays, I was able to then let off steam on the weekends a little bit and participate in those, fun activities um that included some uh some nutrition that maybe i didn't have during the week and that for me made it sustainable
1: and it seems that if you do 16 and 8 you're essentially skipping a meal during the day Uh, and i've Mm -hmm. heard breakfast is the easiest that seems to work for me did you do that or did you approach it a little differently
0: no that's that's exactly what i did again um because i do have a family i um i uh just moved my lunch, um, to about one o'clock and then made sure that I was, uh, finished up with dinner before, you know, six or seven. And, um, and then that was a really easy transition because I was able to have uh dinner with my family.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I, that's what works for me. For me, the balance seems to be 12 and 12. And then sometimes that 12 stretches to 14 where, I mean, you know, I don't eat after eight, then I may not eat until 10 AM the next morning, but, um, 16 and eight sure sounds tough. I have not tried that. And, and uh, <laughs> that seems tough, tough to say uh, to sustain, but it seems like you had some pretty good balance there.
0: Yeah.
2: Shockingly. Uh, so I flip flop it. I breakfast is too important to me. So I usually have my breakfast and then I'd wrap up at about three or four in the afternoon. And my concern was, I think um, what Dr. Pohl speaks to a little bit is then that time between four and bedtime, right? you kind of get into that no man's land where maybe you're going to start making some bad decisions. And I just, I just up my water intake. And a lot of times that took care of the
1: problem. So if that worked for me. Uh, I don't know if it would work for everybody or not, but I guess it depends how many times you want to get up to pee at night, Scott. I don't know if well, that was an this issue is the for shocking
2: thing, No, this is the shocking thing. Yeah. I didn't. You did I didn't it? have to You're just get like up and chugging water. water. And <laughs> Which is bizarre because I used yeah. to have to. So I don't know yeah. if it's related to this or
1: what it was, but. Huh. Interesting. Yeah.
2: Uh, Dr. Paul, what about intermittent fasting for somebody that's trying to manage their blood sugar levels? If that's been a challenge, is that a good strategy? or Are there other better strategies, much like we talked about with weight loss?
0: Um, so again, if if you do have uh, diabetes, I would definitely make sure that you're working with your with your doctor about this, and and that you are um, monitoring your blood sugar. And if you're on medications for diabetes, you need to be adjusting those based on fasting. So um, uh, for patients that have pre diabetes, which is um, a condition where your blood sugar tends to run high after eating, I think that this is a a tool that that you can use to help control that um, if you do if you already are on medications for for blood sugar and diabetes, then you definitely only want to do this under a doctor 's uh, supervision
1: so definitely not a first line but but Scott, I know you 've had this question you 've asked, and maybe you can ask it i don 't want to necessarily reveal your health information, but you've talked about it on the podcast that you said you were kind of borderline on your blood sugar on your fasting glucose and I don't know, maybe you can tell a little bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so um, I come in around 97 to 99 and that (laughs) pre-diabetes is 100. So like I'm kind of right underneath there. And I don't know if that's been just kind of the way I've been my whole life because I don't have enough history of those numbers to be able to tell you if that's kind of always where I've been. I used to subscribe to The Zone Diet, which one of their tenants is that you have a little snack before bedtime. So really my time eating would be from six a m until 10 pm because I would have it would be like cottage cheese and nuts and fruit it would be healthy i't I, I, don't, I don't know troy what what question did you want me to ask? What question are you asking for me?
1: <laughs> <laughs> the question I'm asking on your behalf, Scott <laughs> is for someone like Scott is time restricted fasting, you know, cause he tried everything. Is this some way to then maybe help a little bit more to move someone out of that pre-diabetes range? Is there any benefit there?
0: Um, yeah. So the theory behind pre-diabetes is that you're constantly bombarding your body with insulin. And so um, you're by constantly having carbohydrates throughout the day, Um, you're constantly having insulin in your body throughout the day. So with time-restricted eating, what you're doing is giving your body a break from that insulin. And you're saying, okay, I'm not going to expose the body to carbohydrates and insulin during a certain time period of the day. Um, And, and that's a way that in the, in the pre-diabetes, when you have this tendency toward that borderline, you can actually pull that back a little bit. And so, Scott, were you successful or did that change your, what's your fasting glucose now? Or do you, do you actually monitor that?
2: Uh, have not, have not been, uh, doing it long enough to, to really check. Yeah. So, so uh, I, yeah, I started doing it right before the pandemic hit. And since then, you know, all bets for me, Tro- Troy's doubled down on everything in his life, meaning, you know, like he runs further and he eats healthier and I've got it completely the opposite <laughs> well, way. I don't know
1: about that, but <laughs> I do. <Yeah. laughs>
2: so I haven't tried it yet. Um, uh, is there any research on that, Doctor Paul? Is there like a, any like ex, expect expectation I could have? Because I did exercise, I was eating healthy, I was just eating throughout the day, so I wonder if my eating throughout the day and never giving me my break is what started developing that pre diabetes. There again, I don't know. Maybe I've always had high blood sugar resting. I don't know.
0: Yeah, well it's interesting to see what your weight would be like um you know what your weight was before and what your weight is now but the balance between your fat and your sugar um and that trigger of the insulin um I would expect your your fasting blood sugars to now be a little bit lower more like 90 or, or 85. But, um, but I'd have to, you know, it'd be interesting to see how your body responded. Again, it's a really complex system. And that insulin is the very, um, it's that, that big part of the onion. But as we drill down into the other hormones in your body, those could be affected as well. So we would only know by checking.
1: I think and, we, we, we got to check, Scott. I yeah. think you are, you are a case study because you've <laughs> talked about it. And I know you, you were kind of struggling just to get that number down and definitely concerned. So I'd, I'd love to see where it is after doing some intermittent fasting.
2: So I'll, I'll do a 12 on, 12 off. I'll see how that works. How long do, would I need to kind of maintain that, Dr. Paul, um, before I'd want to get my blood sugar tested again, which I haven't done in two years, by the way.
0: Yeah, How, what what's your eating style like right now? Are you are you not doing any? Um, I I try to eating? do I do
2: try to do tw- twelve on twelve off. I do okay. try to wrap up. I start at six and I try to wrap up at six.
0: Yeah, so i I would I would test it now and see see where you're at. If oh, that's really? What you're doing yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: So that that's soon.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, okay, all right. let's do it. Yeah, let's do it. And all right, this will be our our next episode, Scott. We're gonna we're gonna. Get, give, give you, do the reveal with you. You get your blood sugar drawn. We'll, we'll do the reveal and, and find out what it is. If you're willing oh, to share that'll that, be, that'll be a lot of fun for the listeners, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm
2: sure there's Radio nothing drama. more intriguing <laughs> to podcast listeners than hearing a guy's blood sugar revealed live on the air.
1: That's Here some is the solid, number. <laughs> now, now I know
2: why you're the doctor and I'm the exactly.
1: professional broadcaster. <laughs> That's all right. Not my area of expertise, but I'm intrigued.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I want to know too. All, all right, right. Well,
1: yeah. The doctors in the room want to know that. Yeah, we want to know. We'll listen to that episode. All right. (laughs) Dr.
2: Pohl, so uh, it sounds like just to summarize, time-restricted eating is something that somebody could try, but there are some caveats It can cause uh, overeating, some binging. You might end up going the opposite direction. Better to check in with some of those basics first, like how does your nutrition look, just uh, what you're eating, how does your activity look, your stress, your sleep, Uh, This could be a tool that maybe if uh, somebody's hit a plateau, they want to try. And then there are some uh, medical conditions you might want to talk to your doctor first before kind of uh, thinking about time-restricted eating. Did I sum that up fairly well?
0: That's a great summary.
2: Okay, great. Um, this was a great conversation because I think I get excited about something like this and I forget that everybody is going to react to something like this differently. I was blown away when you said that some people would binge because I didn't experience that. Right. So, of course, that's the way everybody would experience it. That's what we think, but that's not necessarily the truth. So great conversation. Thank you for being on the podcast and thanks for caring about men's health. Awesome. You made it to the end. I hope that you enjoyed this. Who cares about men's health? We have three shows in one podcast. We have our core four episodes, which is just what you listen to here, where we concentrate on nutrition, activity, sleep, and also your emotional health. We have our sideshow episodes, which are a little bit more loose. We do still talk about health topics, though, maybe not directly related to men's health. And then we have the men's health essentials. That's talking about issues that are specific to men that you should know about. So Go back, check out some of those other episodes. Uh, If you would, we have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash who cares men's health. Uh, And most importantly, if you found this episode useful or you find any of our episodes useful, if you would just share our podcast with one other person, it would go a long way to building our audience of men who are informed, educated, can make great health decisions, feel better today and in the future, and who care about their health. Thanks for listening.